Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Resiliency in Running podcast. My name is Liz, and I will be your host. I'm so excited to have you here for today's episode because it's a really interesting one and one that came requested from the podcast Instagram. So I'm really excited to jump into this topic and really excited to share a bit more. So sit back and relax, and let's just jump right into it. So before we get started, I just wanted to stick in a trigger warning for this episode because I will be talking not only about diet culture and diet mania, but my experiences around it, my eating disorder and anorexia that I know I've spoken about in previous episodes, but if topics like food, eating disorders, anorexia, and nutrition kind of trigger you, just maybe click off this episode or look for a different episode to listen to on the podcast. I won't be going into things like numbers around calories or weight in the, of that sense, but I think I'll probably just be broadly brushing the surface on those topics, but definitely won't be giving specifics around like numbers or any of that sort of thing. But yeah, I just wanted to stick that in because I know that this topic can be a bit triggering for people. So yeah, like I mentioned at the beginning, I actually recently had posted like a questions or poll type of thing on the podcast Instagram just to get a feel for what people wanted me to speak about or ideas and one of them was actually around diet mania but from what I grasped from that it would probably be around like diet culture and that sort of thing and it really struck me because that's actually something that I've really struggled with outside of my eating disorder and I think just in general growing up and through the years I think I've had so many different experiences with different types of quote-unquote diets. I've been vegan, I've been raw vegan, I've been vegetarian and paleo and all sorts of things and I've just really at this point I've come to really learn so much more about my body and how to properly feed it and give it the right nutrition and especially as a runner it's so vital and so important that I am feeding my body so I figure this would be a really interesting topic to talk about and yeah just something that I didn't really think about before. Also, so sorry in advance if you hear any beeping or noises. I'm My flat is right next to a street corner, so I think that we just, a lot of noise really flows in and out, so sorry in advance. But yeah, so when I was doing my research around just diets in general and kind of how far back they've originated or how long they've been around, it actually comes from a Greek word and it's, I think it's pronounced dieta, but back then it was used to discuss a person's lifestyle choice. So the foods that they were eating, the exercise they were doing, and the way they were living their life to achieve a healthy mind and body. And now, although the word technically means the same thing, I think that so many of us tend to associate it with something more problematic, like food restriction, a focus on loss, and the fear of not wanting to get fat. And obviously, over the years, diet culture has only become more prevalent, and particularly at the beginning of the new year. And at the beginning of this new year, I actually did an episode called Running from setting unrealistic resolutions in 2021, so creating healthy habits and routines, especially after 2020 lockdown experiences. And I kind of, I did this with a guest and we kind of compared it between the UK and the US. And that was actually, it turned out to be quite a popular episode. And I think it was just really important to get the message across that it's really important not to go into the new year. And that's typically that time of year where people want to create these thousand calorie fads or 30 day workout plans. And, you know, you make yourself this promise that weighing less will be an end to all of our problems, but it's really not. And it starts to really get scary when you're looking at statistics from the National Eating Disorder Association of America, 
where over 50% of teenage girls and 33% of teenage boys are using restrictive measures to lose weight, and almost half of 9 to 11-year-olds are sometimes or very often on diets with the vast majority of their families also engaging in dieting in a bid to lose weight. And lastly, 40 to 60% of girls aged between 6 and 12 years have reported concerns about their weight or fears around getting fat. When I reflect on my own personal experiences, and I won't go too in-depth, and if you want to hear more about it, I have episodes on it, and I'll have them linked in the show notes of this episode. I, before I even started restricting my food, I did not have a care in the world as to what I was eating, and it was just because I was so engaged in so many different sports, and I was such an active kid, and I really didn't care, or I really didn't look at what I was putting in my body, and a lot of it was a mix of healthy foods as well as junk foods, and I think that there wasn't really ever a restriction around foods, and I think my parents were really good at kind of, you know, having a mix of both foods, and I think that that's really important for kids to not feel restricted in that way, if possible, and I think we had a really healthy perception of food growing up, but it really wasn't until I started getting into my teen years when I really started to look at myself, look at my body, and the foods I was eating, especially when social media became really prevalent, and I think in for me as a teen, I it was like things like Tumblr or Facebook. And I think Instagram was just starting back then, but I really started to have more of a look at, you know, people in the media and celebrities and, you know, the quick weight loss and, you know, women in bikinis and models and that sort of thing. And it really started to get to me, I guess. And I think previous to that, I just didn't really look online that much, I guess, for things like that. Like whenever I was on YouTube, I would search for like, I would watch music videos or I would watch things like Charlie Bit Me or Charlie the Unicorn and just like funny bits like that and it wasn't ever really anything around weight loss or any sort of thing. I think one of the TV shows actually in the media that really kind of kickstarted my perception of like diet and weight loss and that sort of thing was actually a show called Make It or Break It and I'm not sure if people in the UK have seen this and I know that I have quite a UK audience now that I'm in the UK but I know that people in the US would have watched this growing up on ABC Family and it was about these three gymnasts and they were training for the Olympics and that sort of thing. But one of the characters, I forget what her name is, but she dealt with needing to lose, you know, a lot of weight in a really short amount of time and kind of her, you know, her a look into how obsessive it became for her and how much she really was focused on it and how it created this lack of engagement with everyone else around her and just like, her desire to be so obsessed and focused on losing weight. I think this coupled with my experiences of being bullied and cyberbullied in middle school just really kind of added a lot of fuel to the flame and I think that this these ideas just kind of started to form in my head and I think especially when you have girls your age at school pointing fingers and making fun of you and calling you names and attacking you online, it really starts to play on your character and it really starts to make you question whether or not you're pretty enough or whether or not you're skinny enough and that sort of thing. And it's just interesting because this was 
never a thought that crossed my mind growing up prior to middle school. And I think as soon as you started to see things in the media, and as soon as teenagers started to look at things in the media, and you know, you deal with things like mean girls and that sort of thing, these ideas just kind of fester in your head, and it's really hard to eliminate them. I think what was the first kind of sign of restriction that I placed on myself was when I forced myself to start eating vegetarian. And I did this with the notion that I figured that it would help me cut back on calories and help me lose weight and that sort of a thing. But in reality, I was trying to kind of mask it as, oh, I really care about animals and I want to eat less meat and that sort of thing. And while that's all really good and I, you know, I still to this day try to have meat-free days in my diet, the persona that I was giving of it was more so I'm trying to cut back and I'm trying to restrict and have control over my diet. And I ended up being vegetarian for about three years. And a part of that, I also was vegan for about a year or so. And six of those months, I was a raw vegan. And this was something that was super problematic that my, I think especially my parents were quite worried about. But at the time, I remember I was watching someone on YouTube called Freely the Banana Girl. And she was, I think she's Australian, but she was living a totally plant-based diet. And it was all raw vegan foods. And again, I'm really not trying to bash these sorts of diets. I think that it works for some people and for other people it doesn't. But for me at the time, I was sort of in a recovery period from my eating disorder. And so mind you, I'm not really including the part in this episode about like the amount of time that I spent really strongly restricting my foods and the amount of weight that I lost in like two months time. Again, I'm not going to be giving numbers or anything, but it was a significant amount of weight and it was scary enough for me to have to be taken to a doctor, to be diagnosed as anorexic, to have to be enrolled with a nutritionist and a therapist. And, you know, I was kind of in this period when I was raw vegan of recovery. And I think that I saw, because a lot of this a lot of raw vegans do eat quite a lot of like fruits. And so an example day would be like for breakfast, you have like five to six bananas and that can be frozen or not frozen, but you kind of blend that up and you eat that. And then for lunch, you might have like 10 peaches. And it's just, I think I saw it as like, oh, but I'm refeeding myself and I'm eating more. And I think it wasn't properly feeding me in the way that I wasn't getting my proteins, my fats, my carbohydrates. I think I I still fully comprehend and love the idea of eating natural and whole foods. And I think that for me and what works for my body now is eating things like meats and vegetables and nuts and whole grains and like things that aren't processed. And so that's kind of the perception that I have on like diet culture and nutrition now. But I think back then it was like this really strict perception of, you know, nothing from animals and nothing like some, I think that I've heard of like some diets as well, where like you don't eat things that are grown from the ground and that sort of thing. And they're just, I feel like the list just goes on for all these sorts of different types of diets. But I think at the end of the day, it's really important to make sure that you are properly feeding your body, whether or not you're an athlete or consider yourself an athlete. I think it's just really important because you create deficiencies really easily and you can 
can really do a lot of damage to your body without even noticing. And I'm fully aware that some people are just straight up allergic to things like root vegetables. I'm, for example, lactose intolerant. And I think that that's actually come from so much restriction over the years when I was growing up that my stomach is really sensitive now. And it's it's especially sensitive to dairy products. And so to some people, it's unfortunate, but to me, I've just kind of grown with it. But I think that, and yeah, to just kind of clarify, it wasn't really until I was 18 that I suddenly realized that my stomach was really sensitive and had reactions to eating dairy. And so I think that I've also spoken with other people that have recovered from eating disorders and are now like gluten intolerant or have developed these sensitivities to foods. And I think that that really comes when you're really messing and trying to control your diet so much that you're restricting yourself so much from certain foods. And I know that like a lot of people are anemic and you don't get enough iron and that sort of a thing, but it really can go as far as like you could totally be messing up your, for example, for women, um, your menstrual cycle. And so if you're not properly feeding yourself, you can lose your period. And this is something that happened to me in my eating disorder. And you would know if you've listened to some of my previous episodes around this, but I lost it for two years. And I know that some people that have had eating disorders have lost it for longer. But I think that one of the kickers that really kicked me into wanting to really actually recover was when the doctor told me, you know, if you don't recover soon, if you don't get your period back, you're really, you might have trouble having kids or trying to get pregnant in the future. And I think that that was something that really scared me because I think growing up, I always just thought, well, yeah, I'm going to have kids. Of course, I'm going to have kids. But yeah, I think something that people really don't think about is just this idea that, you know, simple things like feeding your body and giving it the nutrition that it needs really helps so many different parts of your body function. And so just really making sure that you are meeting your needs and making sure that you are feeding yourself really is so essential, especially when your body is still developing and when you're growing up. And I know that I've been talking about social media and sort of the media as like a negative thing, but I also think that there are definitely positive people in the media that actually really helped me and my recovery and kind of just relearning nutrition and why it's so important to fuel your body. So the first one was Cambria Joy. And I think I got really into her YouTube videos when I was in my early recovery because she actually dealt with bulimia and she kind of did a lot of YouTube videos around um, shedding light around like binge eating and bulimia and that sort of a thing. And so I think it was just really nice to be able to connect to someone online and connect to someone with such a big following. And so I think a lot of her views as well are Christian views, which I align with. And so I think really seeing your body as like a temple, and I think it's, I forget which Bible verse it is, but it's one about your body being a temple and not really wanting to like ruin it, I guess. And so I think once I started to see my body as a temple and one that I didn't want to restrict or didn't want to harm, I think that that also really helped helped in my recovery process. Another really positive person in the media that if you know me really well, you would know that I am so obsessed with Sarah's day and I've followed her for a few years now and just seen her journey and it's been really cool, but she's cured herself from cervical dysplasia and she's done that naturally and she's, from the beginning, I think her whole premise of starting her YouTube channel was to heal her gut and heal herself from like acne and things like cervical dysplasia and really focusing on natural remedies like food and nutrition, but also like Chinese herbal medicines. 
I think a lot of her mantra as well has really helped me heal myself from like negative thinking that I have from like my past and growing up from like my eating disorder. But a lot of her mantra is around like, you know, listen to your body and, you know, feed it when it's hungry, you know, stop when it's full. And if you're craving something, feed it that craving. Don't try and like curb it with like something healthy like celery or something. Like if you're craving chocolate, find chocolate, but like you can find a healthy alternative. And I think think it's creating a lifestyle sort of perspective rather than like a restrictive one that I had kind of created in my own mind and just a lot of her premise as well is just like acting confident and making sure that you know you love yourself and practicing self-love and all that sort of thing and she's just a very relatable person but I yeah I'll have all these people and resources linked in the show notes of this episode but just you know there are definitely people on the in the media that are really positive and can really shed a lot of light into you know how you can properly look at things like diet culture from a healthy perspective and, you know, from the perspective that you want to fuel yourself and feed yourself the proper nutrition and that sort of thing. But yeah, I think I'm just going to wrap up the episode here. I hope that you learned something or gained something from this episode and got a better idea of what or how you can create more of a healthy perspective and outlook on diet culture and, you know, just learning how to properly feed yourself and give yourself the right nutrition to live your healthiest and best life possible. But yeah, that's going to wrap up another episode of the Resiliency and Running podcast. And I really do hope that you enjoyed it. If you are enjoying the podcast, I would love for you to leave a review on Apple Podcasts because it really supports the podcast. And I will also be leaving a link in the show notes of this episode for my fundraiser for Boston Children's Hospital for the London 2021 Marathon. I am fundraising on behalf of them for my place this October. And I would love for you to check out the link and I will definitely be doing a lot more episodes around my preparations and what I'll be doing training wise, but I'm really excited because that is just around the corner, but I hope you enjoyed the episode and I hope to see you in the next one. Bye.